Welcome to the program. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. And I want to welcome to the program Mr. Stephen Wiley, not the magician. He is actually the uh, the caucus director of the North Carolina House GOP. Welcome to the program, Stephen. How are you? Hey, Pete. I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. Good. So uh, first off, tell people what exactly is the uh, what is the caucus director for the North Carolina House GOP? What exactly does that entail? What do you do? Well, I'm still trying to figure out what it is exactly that I'm supposed to do. Um, but on a, on a day-to-day basis, it's just a lot of coordination of different campaigns and our overall effort to win as many seats as we can to the state house um, for the Republican Party. All right. So do you want to start specific or do you want to start high level? I will leave it up to you. Uh, whichever. Uh, I, I love talking uh, uh, high level and uh, I can get into the weeds. OK, so all right. Well, let's start. Let's start in the in the weeds. Uh, there was uh, a tweet that you sent out yesterday and you said this is sort of uh, a really big but under the radar story in North Carolina uh, uh, General Assembly politics, which is that the deadline for the Democrats to put somebody on the ballot against a Republican incumbent from Cabarrus County, Dr. Kristen Baker, that that deadline has passed. Uh, so what is the background on, uh, uh, do you have any insight as to why that happened? So they had someone file during the filing period, and it was uh, this young woman um, that looks like she was just out of college and was working for Nita Alam and her congressional campaign. And she withdrew about two weeks before the primary itself. And the statute from what best we can tell the statute for withdrawals that happened before the primary date versus withdrawals that happened after the primary date is they're handled differently. So the withdrawal before the primary date, there's this deadline of 75 days before the election, which was last Thursday at 5 PM. And the local party that's in that district has to select a replacement by 5 PM, uh, on, uh, I believe it was August 25th, um, and they failed to do so. Um, they know the local party, from what we have gleaned, uh, notified local Democratic Party notified the county board of elections a week prior that they were not planning to fill that seat. And sure enough, um, the time passed for that. Um, we don't know a whole lot of details, but we hear that um, uh, they were just unable to find anyone who wanted to put their name on the ballot after. Uh, how strong of a campaign Dr. Baker ran in 2020. Uh, and we're certainly glad to to have them go ahead and see that one two months before the election. Yeah. Uh, despite all of the yelling about how the lines get drawn, you don't win races if you don't have candidates running within the lines. Um, so uh, Dr. Kristen Baker, I guess congratulations to her. She is going to, uh, to win the election easily, it seems like, um, for her, I guess, second term in the House. Now, uh, let's zoom out a little. Uh, making Now that she's unopposed, uh, you've got several other candidates also in, uh, in the uh, House Republican races that are also on, uh, uh, running unopposed. Democrats didn't field candidates for those races either. And so what does that mean for Democrats' chances of winning a majority in the state House? So with, with all campaigns, uh, money really does make a difference. And just on a practical level, um, that we have so many candidates that are in swing seats that are very strong fundraisers, um, such as Dr. Baker, um, such as Representative Donnie Lambeth, who's uh, one of our health chairs from Forsyth County. 
Majority Leader John Bell, um, Representative Matthew Winslow in Franklin County, uh, that really frees up a lot of resources for them to then um, send to the caucus for the, the House caucus to invest in our, um, our most high-profile swing seats. And then the flip side of that is we have a, a lot more candidates on the ballot than they do this time. So uh, we're just going to be able to raise more money across the board than they will, and that has borne itself out. We had, at this point in 2020, uh, a $1 million deficit in terms of cash on hand to the House Democrats. And at this point in 2022, we've got nearly a $4 million advantage of cash on hand to the House Democrats. So it's a, it's pretty substantial uh, just in terms of the difference in uh, resources available to us. You, you said on Twitter also that um, they would have to defy every election trend in modern American political history and virtually run the table on seats that are rated below R plus four to have a shot at a majority. Um, how many seats are we talking about there? At least 10. I okay. mean, it's, it's a lot uh, that they're, that they're going to have to, they're going to have to win, but they don't currently hold, whether it's the open seat uh, in Cabarrus County district 73 um, which we don't believe that they've got a, that they're, they're going to be able to win that one. That, slightly Democratic seat. Um, they're going to have to go then win um, all of the available seats in the triad, which includes um, East Guilford County, which is a seat that Joe Biden won, Roy Cooper won, I believe Cal Cunningham won, and the nominee for the Democrats is facing trial on September 12th for a charge of go arms to terror of people. She's already had a gun confiscated from her before. She's been convicted of a hit and run, has a very lengthy criminal history. So they've by not doing their due diligence on candidates have taken other seats off the table effectively, uh, where they even have uh, names on it. But in modern American political history, there's only been one time during a recession that the seat or that the party not in control of the white house did not gain ground um, in the midterm. And that was 2002 post nine 11. This is certainly not post nine 11 uh, here in 2022. So this, this would be, um, uh, one of the all-time political flukes for them to have any kind of realistic shot at the majority at this point. You mentioned Sherry Young, the Democratic candidate, District 59. Uh, she's actually going to be in court in about two weeks on those charges. Um, Greensboro Police Department report says she was arrested on November 7th of last year for discharging a handgun. She reportedly had threatened people with a handgun and fired it within 150 feet of a residence. Um, and in the past, like you mentioned, she has been charged with hit and run, failure to burn headlights, failure to wear a seatbelt, possession of an open container, carrying concealed weapon, injury to real property. But all those charges were dismissed, um, according to the Rhinoceros Times. Uh, so uh, is it possible that this is a feature, not a bug of her campaign? This is actually a credential for her in the general. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, yeah. all right. so um, how much of a national impact do you expect down ballot for the state house races? I think when we spoke uh, about a year ago, um, I think you you made the argument that essentially a lot of the local races now uh, are. It's sort of like the old uh, adage is now up on its head, where uh, you know all politics are local, but that may not necessarily be the case anymore. That's right, and, and we've got a very small margin in these down ballot races, so get any kind of deviation from the top of the ticket for the most part. 
Um, in 2020, we were really successful at having folks on the Republican side uh, go to the end of their ballot, whereas the Democrats were not. And we had a number of people say, you know, maybe I don't like the top of the Republican ticket, but I I really like this, what I heard, heard about this Republican, or I, I don't like what I've heard about this Democrat running for state legislature. Um, and there are instances where we can get bigger than a one or two point margin that we typically kind of play with based on the national sentiment. Certainly in in Guilford County with uh, Sherry Young, we think we're going to be able to get much more than that one or two percent standard margin. Um, there's a there's another seat uh, up on the Virginia line where the incumbent Democrat um, was charged with uh, assaulting his ex-wife. We feel like we're going to be able to um, get much more than the margin uh, of the the generic ballot the national level says. I mean that one as well. So there's there's just a lot of uh, a lot more seats this time than we had in prior cycles where we can expand uh, that that margin beyond the standard one or two percent. Uh, so what do you see as the major issues this uh, for this election cycle? Uh, I guess, obviously, the economy. How big of a role do you think abortion plays in this? Uh, do the state politics matter? Right. It's, it's, it's still going to be about the economy. I mean, uh, there's all these, these headlines from the last couple of weeks, certainly here in Raleigh, uh, where Wake County Public Schools went back in on Monday about how much more expensive school supplies are, and that makes a really significant difference. Again, it's it's comes back to uh, 2002 was the only time in modern American political history that uh, this, the party in power gained seats in a recession in a midterm. Uh, based on that, abortion is obviously an important issue to a lot of folks on both sides of the aisle, as it, as it should be. It's a, it's a very um, sensitive and important topic to everyone, but is it the primary driver of, of voters this time across the board? Probably not. Uh, and I, I think that it will have a bigger impact on the margins for state legislative seats, um, but it might have a larger impact on our statewide elections where um, the more densely populated areas in the state that tend to be overwhelmingly Democratic, maybe they're not going to really impact the, the margins uh, in, in many of these competitive seats in the state House and Senate, but they're likely going to have a much bigger impact on statewide races like the U.S. Senate race. Uh, or these statewide judicial elections. Right. Uh, Stephen Wiley, he is the North Carolina House Republican Caucus Director. Thanks so much for your time, Stephen. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Yep. Take care. (music) News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110 are the phone numbers. And uh, you can also email Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. A reminder, tomorrow uh, is uh, September 1, and it's Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month, and it is time for the third annual Little Heroes Blood Drives. Uh, they go on like all month long. Uh, each week in September, WBT is going to host a blood drive. And uh, we're going to be with the One Blood Big Red Bus at the Jack Daniels Doghouse. It's on the corner of Mint and Moorhead. You do not get Jack Daniels for your donation. Just I want to make sure you're aware of that. Blood donations are critical, actually, in treating all forms of cancer. And WBT uh, is committed to helping kids in the community that are fighting the disease. So uh, if you uh, have never given blood or if you're a longtime donor, we ask you to uh, make a plan to join us for 
uh, one of the blood drives in September. Go to WBT.com for the details to reserve your appointment time now. The third annual Little Heroes Blood Drives at the Doghouse. And also uh, a sincere thank you to Rich and Richie and all the folks at Affordable Siding and Windows, as well as Paul and his crew at Jameson Realty for their amazing support of the event as well. Um, and thanks to Stephen Wiley for joining me. Uh, talk about the uh, the election here in the North Carolina House. That uh, Look, it's Labor Day weekend here coming up. Programming note, I'm not going to be here Friday or Monday, uh, but I'll be back on Tuesday. And that's really, you know, the election cycle is now really starting. After Labor Day, I know, like, people who listen to WBT, like, we're... We are engaged in this stuff all the time, right? Uh, this is our hobby. We are uh, we are interested in in politics and government and culture uh, and society, and so we're interested in these topics. That's why uh, you listen. That's why you're here. That and of course, uh, you are here for the rim shots. Obviously, everyone is. It makes my jokes fifty two percent funnier. So, um, that being said, most other people are going to start paying attention to the election. After Labor Day, this is when people that aren't into politics start kind of tuning in. So that's why I don't really follow a lot of the polling beforehand. uh, And also 2016 taught me to not really trust any of it. Um, I like the trend lines. And I like the I like this, the talk of strategy, how candidates are going about their messaging and that sort of stuff. And that's why I like talking to Stephen Wiley. Um, for uh, your information in the North Carolina General Assembly, if, they Repub- if the Republicans are trying to pick up a super majority, in other words, a veto-proof majority, they're going to have to add three House seats. That's possible. They could do that. Um, it's, uh, it's probably going to be a bit of a heavy lift, and we'll have to see. I don't make predictions on election outcomes, once again, thanks to 2016. So I'm not going to predict anything like that, but... Uh, I do know that sort of as a general rule, the more seats you have prior to an election, it's less likely you can make big gains in the next election, which makes sense, right? If you uh, if you already have a majority, you have to now defend a lot of those seats. Now, of course, Democrats being unable to field enough candidates to challenge, uh, that makes your job easier to defend a lot of those seats, but also It indicates that you may have picked up a bunch of swing seats before and uh, people may not be in a mood to send you back, to send some of your party members, your candidates back. Uh, And that's bipartisan that goes across the board. So they would need to pick up three House seats uh, and in the Senate, they would need to pick up two uh, seats in order to get a super majority. And if they were to do that, then that would essentially render Roy Cooper's veto meaningless at that point. And truly make him a lame duck, which that is the messaging that he's putting out there. You got to vote for Democrats uh, in order to back my veto because I'm the only check on a Republican legislature. So uh, that's sort of the uh, that's the playing field going into November and the election. News Talk 1110 99.3 WBT. Mr. Jameson, how are you? walking by the studio <laughs> national issues probably there you go what's up uh sorry national issues going to probably be driving uh the local races which is uh, it's it, it's been turned on its head that old axiom all politics are local and, and that is true candidates matter i say it all the time campaigns matter 
uh, how you run the campaign. All of that stuff matters. But more and more in our modern era, the national uh, topics and issues that has driven local election results. A lot of the races uh, got nationalized uh, years ago, and it's only become more so. Uh, except, I would put a caveat on that, except for uh, school board races, <laughs> right, as of late. Uh, but even that is driven uh, in large part by what people are, are hearing about the way schools are teaching kids. So the national environment is what? The economy. And then under that umbrella, you got you know what? inflation, right? Gas prices, school supplies. A lot of parents went back to the stores to buy school supplies and got walloped with big bills, right? People aren't, I just saw a story yesterday. People are not eating out as much. Uh, I am not. And uh, because of the price, it's just too expensive. Um, I've talked about this before. I would go and get, you know, I, I basically... Like, I get a, a whole uh, a pack of chicken, boneless, skinless chicken breasts. I put them in the crock pot. Uh, I shred them down, and that's my uh, lunch and afternoon snack for the week. So, And I, I portion them all out. Uh, and I learned all of this from Ph.D. Weight Loss and Nutrition, of course. But uh, And I portion them out. And I used to work in restaurants for like a decade. So I, uh, you know, I'm all about the prep ahead of time. I don't want to be messing around with making lunch during the day. Anyway... I am uh, I am acutely aware of the price of a pack of chicken, and uh, I, I I was buying the pack of chicken you know uh, over a year ago, and basically every week, and it has gone from somewhere in the neighborhood. I could even find some deals sometimes like you know nine or ten bucks, and now I get less chicken for like twice the cost. And that's happening across the board in all things, right? You're getting smaller amounts of food at higher prices. Charlotte Observer, well, the McClatchy uh, newspapers, this is actually Dawn Vaughn up in Raleigh at the News and Observer. She did the story, uh, inflation, abortion, and control of the NC legislature. What's at play in the 2022 midterms? So Democrats really want abortion to be uh, an issue in the uh, election. And maybe it will. I, I don't know. But I suspect that most of the people that are most galvanized by that topic, they were already voting. And I suspect most of the people that are most energized by that topic, that were going to vote based only on that, they already had their positions calcified, right? They already knew what side of that issue. If that's your single issue, then you're you probably have already been voting one particular way. So does that actually change electoral outcomes, right? Now, maybe it, maybe it does. Maybe there's enough of it. I'm not sure. I think there's a little bit of wish casting going on uh, uh, among Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself. Um, and so uh, in North Carolina, there are two major issues at play. She writes the economy and abortion, but a range of other factors will also affect election results in this politically purple state. I've talked about this before. It's easy to think that North Carolina is a purple state because you look at the different mix of statewide offices and the like. But keep in mind, you know, the last time North Carolina sent a Democrat to the U.S. Senate, that's a statewide election, top of the ticket, right? Kay Hagan. It's been a while, right? That's been a while. When's the last time 
um, Democrats have controlled the state council, uh, the council of state, rather, which is the 10 statewide elected offices. It's been a while. Um, you also have the cumulative effect of rural voters and, um, and suburban voters, uh, non-Democrat voters. You have this cumulative effect. I think it's called like the rule of cubes or something like that. And it's a math formula. I'm not going to go into it. But Dr. Andy Jackson talks about this over at uh, the John Locke Foundation, uh, how when you, when you start looking at the math of it, you, you end up with these tiny little margins. But when you replicate those margins across all of the state, it ends up becoming a greater... Uh, margin, right? It, it multiplies out. So it's not too purple. I mean, okay, fine. You want to call it like a reddish purple, maybe. Fine. Um, let me jump ahead here in this piece because I'm looking at the clock. Then Democrats want to make abortion an election issue, she writes. And then she quotes Morgan Jackson, a Democrat strategist for the governor. Jackson said, midterm elections are about motivation, and the side that wins has the most motivated voters. Now, I agree with Jackson on that. Um, That's usually why the party out of power picks up House seats at the congressional level. In the midterms, that's usually why the party out of power wins more seats out of power of the like the White House. Because it's a way to register dissatisfaction. And we are perpetually dissatisfied with our government and our elected officials. You know, the party gets in there and... Uh, things don't uh, improve, as uh, uh, the Avid brothers promise. You know, they, uh, things don't improve. Your life doesn't improve by the man that's elected. And so then they vote against the people in power. Americans like to vote against people who already have the office. Uh, Jackson said that, quote, for most of the last year, the voters most motivated and angry were Republicans. I agree. Jackson said that was because their party has been out of power. I would agree. But the Supreme Court decision tossing abortion laws back to the states has motivated Democratic voters. I I, I have no reason to doubt that. Before the court decision, Democrats were about 10 percent less motivated. But that has now changed, although uh, Jackson does not tell us uh, to what degree. If former President Donald Trump announces he's going to run again, that will also motivate more Democrats to vote. Democrats are counting on Sherry Beasley's historic candidacy as an African-American woman to drive voters support, too. The reason I pulled that one sentence is I think there's there's something to keep in mind here. If former President Donald Trump announces he's going to run, that will motivate more Democrats to vote. This is a this is the um, campaign Democratic strategist for the governor. Now Remember, Roy Cooper is the head of the Democratic Governors Association, which is the organization that's, you know, has his has as its mission to elect Democratic governors. So if Morgan Jackson knows this and is telling the newspaper reporter this, do you think other Democrats at the national level don't know that too? Do you think, do you think other media people at the national level don't know that? If former President Trump announces he's going to run, it will motivate more Democrats to vote. I'm just spitballing here. I have no inside knowledge about this at all, but... Is it possible that there might be an effort to get Trump to announce he's going to run and to do it before November? Do you think that's possible? Do you think Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, might have an interest in getting Trump to pull the trigger on an announcement before November? What do you think? Is it possible? I'm just spitballing. 
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I'm going to make an argument here for why the Republicans should be returned to the majority at the General Assembly. I think they've done a good job. Do I agree with everything they've done? No. Do I agree with everything every Republican has proposed as a bill that went nowhere? Of course not. There are a lot of people in the General Assembly. Anybody can propose a bill, and then a lot of them just go to rules to die. Now, the committee, they just send it over there and it dies. But uh, anybody can propose bills, and even the craziest uh, of the crazy people that get elected, they can submit bills. So here's why I think that the Republicans uh, have done a good job. And admittedly, I, uh, I tend more towards the fiscal side of things, and, uh, and not on all cases, obviously, but by and large, when I'm looking at policy— What are you doing to allow people to engage in free market capitalism and set their own course, right, chart their own destiny? And uh, I think the Republicans have done a pretty good job of doing that. There was a piece I came across at the Carolina Partnership for Reform in North Carolina, cprnc.org, by the way, is their website. And uh, you just heard uh, what I think they were celebrating that Toyota is going to be increasing the amount of uh, its investment in North Carolina, uh, there have been a whole bunch of these big announcements, big headquarters, right, coming here. Why is that? Apple, Toyota, uh, Eli Lilly, Thermo Fisher Scientific, Pratt & Whitney, right? You have all of these huge announcements, VinFast, right, all the electric vehicle, whatever. In the past 12 years, the General Assembly's reform majority brought North Carolina's personal and corporate income tax rates from the highest among our neighbors to the lowest. I was here in, I got to WBT in 1999 and uh, started covering local politics uh, about a year or so later and did that for eight years. And then as a host, did it for another three. So I remember when these rates were as high as uh, I'm about to read to you. And for folks who have newly arrived You may think this is the way it's always been. It hasn't. It took Republicans to win control under, um, honestly, whatever you think of them now. Tom Tillis put together the blueprint for the Republicans to take control of the General Assembly in 2010. And then they began enacting their reforms. North Carolina, back in 2010, North Carolina had a personal income tax rate at just under 8%. 7.98%. And it should also be inclu- uh, it be noted, they say that uh, the tax rate for 2010 included a surtax that was enacted during the Great Recession that increased tax liability over the statutory rate. 7.98%. It went down uh, to, oh, sorry. Yeah, it went down to 4.99. So it went from almost 8 down to just under 5. Over on the corporate side, it was at 7.10%, and it went down to now 2.5%. And Republicans have made it very clear their intention is to get these rates down as close to zero as possible. The result has been that people move here. That's why we're competing with other states and other countries. Companies seek profit. The more they pay in taxes, the less they have to reinvest or distribute to shareholders. Now, I know a lot of leftists complain about the corporations. 
And they're all, oh, they're headquartered in foreign countries so they can avoid paying taxes. Well, here's an idea. How about you make the taxes low enough where it doesn't make sense for them to headquarter in those other countries? Then you get to keep all of that instead of none of it. How about that? How about you get 2.5% of a multi-billion dollar corporate uh, income versus 0% of that multi-billion corporate income? I think 2.5% is greater than zero. What do you think? Either companies make location decisions based on tax environment or they don't. It can't be true that corporations respond to domestic taxes by headquartering overseas, but other corporations somehow don't consider a state's tax code when headquartering there, right? Of course they do. People, just like companies, wish to keep the money we earn, right? They flee the high-tax states. They come to low-tax states like North Carolina, Florida, and Texas. Why? Because they pay lower taxes, The tax rate is scheduled to drop even more. It's going to be under 4% by the year 2026. Also, the standard deduction in North Carolina, the amount of income that somebody pays no taxes on, it's now at $25,500 per couple. Georgia's is $6,000. Virginia's, $9,000. Our tax rate, our income tax rates at both the personal and the corporate level are way below all of the states that border us. Virginia is at 6% for both pers- uh, yeah, for both uh, personal and corporate. Well, the personal is a little bit lower. Georgia is at 5 and 3 quarters for both personal and corporate. And South Carolina has a personal income tax of 7% and a corporate rate of 5%. We are below all of them. And we end up with budget surpluses. At some point... The evidence is so clear, even a leftist can see it. 